Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, uh, back to where we were this morning. Uh, we're going to continue and take a time and look at another aspect of the Lord's Prayer that is drawn out in these verses as Jesus lays a pattern, a manner by which we are to pray, kind of a prayer list with some categories that as we go to, into our private place, into our closet, and we make real our relationship with God and grow in our faith, our prayer life is strengthened when we focus on these types of thoughts in our heart and words that come out of our lips. And we pray in this manner. When we pray, we pray thinking about these characteristics. We talked this morning about our Heavenly Father, our Father which is in heaven. A relationship that is a priority that we are sons of God. And the only reason that we are able to be sons of God is because He sent His only begotten Son into the world. So that anyone that believes doesn't have to perish, but can have everlasting life. And that love of, of God the Creator to send His Son. And then when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, He is the only way to the Father. And so we can then, as our faith received Christ, we can now call Him Abba. A very tender compassionate term that would be used for an infant but here in this prayer we go from Abba to Father and this Father is is a recognition of his role as um, as the one who is the head of our family and in the head of our relationship and we're dependent upon the Father and uh, Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 that all that he has has been given from the Father and his desire is to glorify the Father. And that the Father will glorify the Son. And in doing that, he has chosen those who will believe. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is lifted up, will draw all men unto him. And so we see that. And then we also recognize about heaven. Jesus brings out in this prayer our eternal focus. Our focus on the Father who is sitting on his throne in heaven. So not only speaking of his character, of who he is, but speaking of his location, of where he is, and what he controls, and his authority and his power over the universe. Uh, later he will say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or if it's said here, as in heaven, so in earth. You see, God's will is done in heaven because he is the ruler of that place. And sin is rampant in our world. And so part of our prayer life is to focus on the presence of God who is um, in his, uh, on his throne and paying tribute to him. I also want to think as we see here, the next phrase that is said here, we, when you pray, if you're looking at uh, Luke 11 and verse 2, and he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, as he moves down here through this verse, before he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, he wants us to understand his name. 
and the holiness of His name. In other words, the focus of this prayer is not about your name, your kingdom, and your will. But His name, His kingdom, and His will. This is the first of three petitions. This is the... um, uh, hallowed be thy name is not necessarily a statement of fact. Even though that is true. God's name is holy. This is an imperative. Which goes along with thy will be done and thy kingdom come. It is a, it is a prayer of, of action. An imperative reaching out saying Lord make your name holy. These three petitions make up the first group of this prayer. It shows the priority of God first. I think oftentimes, um, as I mentioned and closed the service this morning, that our prayers are very self-centered and selfish in nature. And we bring a prayer list to God about what we want, almost like He's a Santa Claus. And this is, this is what I would like for you to do for me today. This is what I need you to do for me tomorrow. It's not that we cannot bring petitions. He's going to ask for daily bread. He's going to ask for forgiveness of sins. He's going to ask to be protected from the evil one. But before he does that, he shows the priority on our, 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 the, the, the God that we have in him first. Not us. John Phillips said this. Prayer is a God-centered activity. It lifts our hearts, it lifts our thoughts to God Himself. That's what prayer is. We've got to be very careful in a very selfish and self-centered world that God is up there like a genie and when we pray, we go to Him with requests so that He will grant our wishes. And oftentimes when we we pray wrong, we, we get into some wrong patterns when we fail to recognize He is first, we are last. Thy name. Funny way the kid thought that this prayer prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be your name. The little boy asked mom, said, Mom, who is Howard and why is he in heaven? Things that you kind of get. This is a realization, this word hallowed, not Howard, hallowed, it's not an English word that we use, it's an old English word. It means to make holy, to be holied. I don't think, I don't know if that's an English word, I wrote it down here, but I can, I'm the pastor, I can make up words if I want. <laughs> holied, make your name holied. The King James in the old English word, the proper word is hallowed. Um, this is a realization of the character of God. Hallowed means to treat Him as separate from sinners. This is talking about the purity of who God is. He is holy. That is a fact. He is set apart from sin. When we get to heaven and we see those angelic beings flying around the throne of God. Just like in Isaiah 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. He is the Father who is in heaven on his throne. But what are they saying? What are they singing? Both in Revelation and in Isaiah 6. Old and New Testament. Holy, holy, holy. 
I didn't mention this, but when we were walking through uh, Zechariah and Zechariah chapter 3 and Joshua is standing there, you remember he's, he's being put on new garments, these festival garments, these beautiful garments. And then Zechariah interjects into that vision and says, put a hat on him too. And the hat that is used in that passage is the, is the, the royal the turban that the high priest would wear that would go over his head and that was wrapped. In uh, uh, Leviticus and Exodus, on that hat was a gold medallion. And carved in that gold medallion was the word holy. Holy. It was a recognition of not the priest himself is holy, but when he put that garment on, sin was now atoned for, and the people now could come into the presence of a holy God. Because a sacrifice is made, it was to remind the people on a regular basis that we are sinners, and God is holy. That's why there was a separation between the holy place and the holy of holies in the tabernacle and the temple. And there was a veil in between. And only the high priest could go in to that most holy place where the mercy seat and the ark of the covenant was to make sacrifice. Only he. And on the fringe of his garment were little bells that were put and sewn into the garment so that he would move around. There was no chair in the Holy of Holies so that if he were struck down by a holy God because he failed to get forgiveness of his sin, a rope could be pulled from his feet and they could pull him out when they heard the bells stop because nobody was allowed in. God is holy. And sometimes in the Old Testament, we see the holiness of God and we see the sin that comes in the nation of Israel and we see God focusing on His holiness and His justice and His righteousness and His judgment when His holiness has been crossed. Such as when David is carrying the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he puts it on a cart, disobeys God's Word, mistreats the Ark of the Covenant, that which is holy to God. And when Uzzah reached out to protect the Ark, what he thought he was protecting the ark, it began to slide. He reached out and God struck him dead. Why? Because God is a vindictive God? No, because God is a holy God. And he's righteous. He can't dwell and sit with sinners. So the focus of this name, holy, Yes, is a fact that God is holy. But just as I mentioned, it is a passive imperative verb. The first priority and petition of this prayer is not a statement of fact, but a command. This is a verb. I'm not saying your name is holy, but make your name holy. That's what the word hallowed be thy name means. So the question is, is this a request for God to make his name holy in the earth? It is sure that in our world today, just as in Jesus' world in any time that you find yourself throughout history, God's name is smeared in our earth, in our world today. God's name is trashed. God's name is treated flippantly. Turn on any movie, even a PG movie, and you will probably hear, oh my, and God's name put in there. 
The way the unsaved and, and the world out there today treats the, the name of Jehovah and God. It's, it's stomped on in our culture. And I, I think that Christians and believers ought to pray to God and say, God, make your name holy in this world. He will do that. Eventually when He comes and sets things right, brings His Son, and when His Son comes and judges this world, and then Jesus will be lifted up and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is His name that is going to be lifted up and it will be made holy in the eyes of the world. So is Jesus saying, or is Jesus saying in the prayer, Lord, make your name holy? Or is, is Jesus saying, we are to make his name holy? So is the focus on God doing the passive action to himself? Or is the focus on an imperative that we are to do for his name? I would believe in this prayer, the indication would be the second. The, the indication is, Lord, help me to make your name holy. It is a priority of his name and not ours. How do we make God more holy? Well, we don't make God more holy in his nature, in his character. How do we hallowed his name? How do we holied his name? We can't make God more holy, but what we can do, we can add to His character, but we can in our life lift His name up. You see, we don't respect names in our culture as we once did. At least I recognize that. Every generation looks back on the previous you know, generation or on the forward generation and always has our own criticisms but when I grew up in the South, both in Georgia and Alabama, my parents taught us to respect our elders. And so when you addressed people who were an adult, you never addressed them by their first name. As a child, we, would say, we were told to say, Brother so-and-so, or Mr. Charles, <laughs> or, or Mrs. so-and-so, or Sir or ma'am, we were to not use first names for adults because my parents were teaching us it was respectful to address people in that way. When I went to Wisconsin, they don't seem to do that and teach that as much as they did in the South, and it seems to be in the South now they don't teach it as much as they used to in the South, just the term of respecting people's name, ages, and positions. Those of you who are in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is this chain of, of leadership and respect. And that must be followed within the, the, uh, the branches of the military to remember your place. To remember the authority, how we address people. If we are going to respect a general or a lieutenant colonel who walks in the room and give him honor for his rank, whether you agree or you don't agree with the President of the United States, or if you were, I mentioned this this morning, in the presence of royalty, whether he was your king or not, 
I'm sure out of respect of the position, those who understand respect and honor would address him as your majesty <laughs> or um, Mr. President or sir. It, it, it's, it's a respect. If we will do that for earthly people, how much more should we do that for our heavenly father? In Jewish culture, the name of the person was directly tied to who that person was. So in the Old Testament, when God wanted to reveal himself to his people, he did it by giving his names. His names are characterized by his nature and his character, what he does and who he is. There are many names. I have a series on the names for God. You probably have a book or done a study on the names for God in the Old Testament. I've got a series of, a, of about a year's worth of messages that are on the different names for God in the Old Testament. What a great and rich study it was for me. And I know it will be for you if you've never done that. Study through the names for God. It'll give you a new glimpse into who He is and what He does. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 9 and verse 10. Those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken those who seek thee, those who know thy name. Psalm 20 in verse 7. Some boast in chariots and some boast in horses, but I will boast in the name of Jehovah the Most High. You see, the psalmist, as he says this, was not, was, was not just flippantly using the name of God. He didn't just see it as a simple title for God. He understood that God's name reflected who He was and His character and what He did for us. And it was holy. Psalm 138 in verse 2, I will worship towards thy holy temple and I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God has set his name up and his word points to his name. When Moses was um, complaining, if you want to put it that way, in, in front of the burning bush, about having to go to Pharaoh and tell these two million people that, that um, God has sent him. He said, who do I tell that sent me? God gave him a name that was sacred and throughout the scripture would remain sacred even to the Jewish people today. The name was Yahweh. I, uh, it, it's a to be verb. I am that I am. Jehovah would be how it was oftentimes spelled or the way we spell it uh, today. Psalm 111 verse 9. Holy and reverent is your name. How well do you know God's name? You see, this is all about God. His name. And when you pray, do you ask yourself, how will this prayer, how will my life, how will what I say affect his name? Or do you think, how is this going to affect my name? So I'm going to come with my petition because it's about my kingdom, it's about my will, and it's about my name. John Stott says this, God is not a combination of letters. 
G-O-D. The name stands for the person who bears those letters. His character and his activity. You know nothing should matter more in your life than to honor God. That's what it means to hallowed his name. It means to honor him. We don't actually add anything to God's name to make it holy. But what we do is we honor that already holy name and we reverence that already holy God, holy, and we allow others to see God in us, in our life. God ought to be so holy to you that when you walk into your prayer closet, may only be just you and Him, but there in your prayer closet, in the presence of the Almighty God of the universe, you are standing on holy ground and you take your shoes off. Now, they may be not literally, you'd probably be packed around with a bunch of shoes in your closet. But that is the spirit by which you come to him in prayer. Yes, he's your father. Yes, he's in heaven on his throne. But his name is holy and your desire is to lift his name up in your life. Interesting. Out of 8 billion people in the world. In over 6,000 years of human history. And that's just the dot in the span of time. Your life. Little you. And yet you come before a holy God. You get to stand in the presence of God. We don't have to run in fear. It should be out of respect and honor. And as a sinner, we can come saved by the grace of God through the power and the advocacy of Jesus Christ into the presence of a holy God. And like Moses, we can take our shoes off and we can come right up close to the bush. And we can plead and say, Lord, help me to know how to make your name holy. D.A. Carson said, Lord, I want to learn to reverence your name in everything I do. Do a work in me that will cause men and women around me to honor your name. The highest goal is not that we would be made holy. The highest goal is rather that God's name in our life would be holy. You see, this removes man from the center of the picture and this places God all alone where he belongs. Man, even transformed man, is not the chief goal of the universe. God is. So I want to ask you, learn to make his name holy. You see, Jesus did this in his life. Nothing mattered more to Jesus than the name of his Father. John 17, 6. I manifest thy name to men whom thou hast given me out of this world. In other words, Jesus had perfectly revealed the Father to everyone he came in contact with. That was his goal. So let me ask you, in 2023, the end of coming up to the end of November, do you glorify and reverence the name of God in your life like Jesus did? That's his pattern. We are to follow the pattern of Jesus. Psalm 34, 3, you should know this verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me 
and let us exalt his name together. That's David coming to his people saying, this is what we're going to do. Come with me. We're going to magnify the Lord and together we're going to exalt his name. That was the intent of David as he came into the temple. And that is the intent of the church collectively. That when they hear of Calvary Baptist Church, they hear a place where the name of God is lifted up and the name of Jesus is praised. When they hear of the members of Calvary Baptist Church, both their words and their actions, God's name is holied, hallowed in their life by their testimony. This is the flip side of the third commandment. You know what the third commandment is? Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God in vain. In other words, respect it. So can I just say in, in, conclu- in closing and, and a practical application. Don't take the name of God in vain. How are you How do you holy his name? By respecting the very name and and adhering to the third commandment. Don't say, oh my, and put his name there. Treat it as holy, not as trash. Don't use his name for your advantage. That would be taking his name in vain. Can I give you an example? Um, we got a few minutes left here. Will you turn over to the book of Genesis, chapter 27? Sometimes we think um, taking God's name in vain is only when we use it as a curse word. In Genesis 27, there's a story between Jacob and Esau. Do you remember the story? Esau's been sent out to uh, get the venison and make a stew. And, um, and, and because Isaac is going to bless Esau. Mom comes in the room. Jacob is there. And mom says, Jacob, your father's going to give the blessing to the firstborn. Here's our plan. And you remember the whole plan. Taking sheepskin, put it over his body and make a, a soup. And I, Isaac's eyes are dim and he can't see. He's got good ears. At least an indication. So here comes Jacob into the room. He's a deceiver. That's what his name means. Schemer, conniver, deceiver. He's living up to his name. It's what he's been doing. It's what he's going to do. One who grabs the heel. And as he walks into the tent, there's Isaac. And notice in verse 30 of Genesis 27. And it came to pass... As soon as Isaac had made an end of uh, blessing Jacob. Actually, I'd like to go just before that. Yeah, go, go to verse uh, uh, 23. I want to see this in there. Um, verse 20. Maybe I wrote down 30 and meant verse 20. Just kind of going down here. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it? That you have found it so quickly, my son. Okay, he's talking about the, the meat, right? He sent him out, you go to, and then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, here, you know, in comes, in comes Jacob. And he said, This is Jacob, because Jehovah thy God brought it to me. I want to tell you that's a bold face lie. 
This was all in the plan of the scheming of his mother and Jacob. God had nothing to do with this. But what is he pretending? What is he, what is he showing? He's being hypocritical. He's blaming something on God to be religious. When in fact it has nothing to do with God. This is nothing but selfish greed and lies. I want to contend that in this verse, Jacob is taking God's name in vain. As an advantage to get his agenda across by bringing a persona that, well, God brought it to me. How often do we do that? Pretend to be spiritual to pretend to blame something on God when we know behind the scenes it's all about us? Can I take you to another passage of Scripture in the New Testament where this same thing is done? Turn over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And in addressing the Pharisees, he's talking about honoring thy father and mother. And in verse 9 of chapter 7, he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own traditions. And when Jesus just comes right out and blurts out and says, You reject God's commandments so you can keep your own traditions. It's all about you. You're a hypocrite. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And whoso curses father and mother, let him die the death. But here's what you say. That's what the next verse says. But you say this. If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is, and what's the word there? Corbin. Okay, not Mike Corbin. He's back there. He's shaking his head. Corban, all right? That is to say, this is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to be aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect. So what is Jesus talking about? You can do your own study here. The Hebrew word korban is actually used in the sacrifices. It's found in the Old Testament. When something was brought into the temple, and it was sacrificed and dedicated to the Lord. It was called Corban. It was, it was a pronouncement. This is God's. This is holy to God. So what the Pharisees were doing is, is they were giving an excuse of, of some things that they had in their life by which they could not necessarily honor their parents because they had set something aside as Corban, something aside for God's name. But it was being used as an excuse to disobey the commandments of God. A pretense of spirituality using something dedicated to Jehovah. And Jesus says, you're a fake and a phony. And you're using religious things for your own advantage. And I believe what Jesus is saying in, in a way is you're desecrating the name of God by living and doing that. And you know it. Pretending to be something you are not. And can I say, we take God's name in vain when we use it for our advantage, when we pretend to be who we are not to get our way and our wants. 
Can I also say this in a practical way? Not only not taking God's name in vain, but respecting it. Can we also, we can holy God's name. We can hallowed God's name in our life by our worship. Verbally, when we sing hymns, the words that we sing from the hymns that we have in services is to lift up and exalt the name of the Lord. And can I say, sometimes when you come in here, if you're not careful, you can repetitiously sing the words just like Corbin, right? Just like something that's dedicated to him. And in your life, you mean none of it. You mean none of it. But you're saying the words. That's not lifting. Is he getting any praise because you mutter some words? Or you sing a hymn with all of us together? Oh, how I love Jesus. When in fact, in your heart, you're, you're desecrating, pretending to be what you're not. It would be better for you not to sing. One of the ways we holy God's name, we bring um, God's name, we lift it up is when we sing in worship a beautiful sound. That doesn't mean you have a voice like Miss Leah. But we give praise, lip service from our heart that is coming out in our life. And we can say the words and give glory to God despite what our voice may sound like to the ears. May not mean you need to be in the choir. But give it all you got. Why? Because His name is holy. Just like I said this morning, sometimes it bothers me that there are people who choose, who say that they won't pray. I understand about embarrassing and, you know, blur, blurting out and, 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 and I understand that. However, if you have a prayer life and a walk with God, you should not be ashamed of prayer. And I want to say the same thing about singing. All throughout Scripture, one of the things that is connected to the local church is singing in the New Testament. Some of the same things that we do in our service that you would have found in the first church in their homes. Scripture reading, preaching, fellowship, communion, baptism, prayer, and singing. And when we sing the heart from the Lord, it is bringing a a holiness to his name and uplifting his name corporately, but also in your life. You say, well, I don't like to sing. Well, I'm going to tell you, God likes to hear you sing. Do you sing lies? The question about worship is not whether you enjoyed it, but does God enjoy it? And then can I last say, not only taking God's name in vain, we should be careful of that, lifting His name up in our life. We should worship His name in our singing, both corporately, maybe even personally, but also in our witness. Exalt His name in your testimony. How do you live? Does it show forth the holiness of His name? If you go out and live and act like a heathen, all the while saying that you are a believer, you're trashing the reputation of the name of God. That's why what you do and what you say in the world matters. What you wear, where you go, what you take a part of. You say, well, you're given you know, a list of do's and that's legalism. No, no. When we understand the holiness of God, it's going to come out in our life. 
It's going to come out where we go, what we say, what we take part in, what we do, what we don't do, how we treat our body. All of that matters because we have a holy God. Not out of fear that He's going to strike us if, if we do something that we shouldn't do with it. But because we are the temple of the Lord. And when people look at a believer, they ought to see a, a, the name of God, the name of Jesus plastered over our life. And say, God's name is holy in that person's life. And desire what we have. You say, well, does that mean we got to walk around and look like a monk? No. No, we don't, we don't dress like first century Jews. Not the, not the idea. But we do understand our life reflects the name of God because we are a child of God. And when we live inconsistently with the patterns of the Scripture and that holy name, His reputation is at stake in our life. That's exactly what happened to Israel in the Old Testament. The reason He brought punishment to His people, the reason their light was snuffed out for a time is because they trashed His name. And I believe in our life as well, as I talked about this on Wednesday night with the testimony from Zechariah in the New Testament, the local church is pictured as a candlestick and as a light, as a testimony, the reputation of the one who they belong. His name matters. Does his name matter to you? Be careful. Be careful how you use it. Be careful how you worship it. Be careful how you live it. His name. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, I pray that you'd help us this evening. That we would put our name last. We would put our kingdom last and our will last. And we would lift up your name. We do desire that your name be glorified in this world. In this community. Uh, Lord, we, we do believe that you are going to glorify your name. And people will come to you and sin will be judged. And one day this world will look and, and give you credit for, for who you are as creator. But right now, just us, individually, our families, teenagers, children who've trusted Christ as their Savior can call you Father. We are little lights reflecting the name of Jesus Christ. And your reputation is at stake. And Lord, we are to treat your name as holy. We are to treat your, um, your character as holy in our life. How we talk about you. How we talk about your church. And Lord, so many times we complain, even in worship, we complain about worship, we complain about your church, we complain about things in our life, we complain about what we don't have, and our, our constant complaining and criticism is a lifting up of our name and a putting down of yours. And Lord, would we be careful in how we spread your reputation. And Lord, in our life, in our focus, as we recognize that none of us are perfect, we're all on this journey attempting to, to um, make holy your name in our life. There are going to be times where we fall. There are going to be times where our reputation is, has, um, has hurt your name. Would we seek forgiveness?
And would we strive to make your name holy, treat it with respect and honor, and um, be consistent and real and not pretend and be fake. Thank you for this prayer that we can pray. Every day that we get up, would we seek to honor and respect your name through what we say and do in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed tonight. I believe there's a missions committee meeting.